You're listening to a message from South Hills Church in Burbank, California. For more information about South Hills, check out SouthHillsBurbank.com. simply entitled Family Month. The entire month of October, we're talking about how to have healthy relationships, not just in our immediate families. So uh, no matter what your family situation looks like this morning, um, this conversation applies to all of us because we are all trying to figure out how to have healthier relationships. We want to improve our relationships, whether it's with a spouse or children or parents or siblings or coworkers or neighbors or roommates or whatever it is. We, we need to figure out how to have better, healthier relationships. So last week, we talked about listening. We gave you some very practical, active listening tips and skills. And I received back from some people. They were like, I can't believe it, but it worked. Like, I actually applied them, and it worked. And so I just want you to know, if I give you some type of practical tip, it's not because I'm trying to trick you. Uh, I'm usually going to try to tell you the truth, okay? So just so you know, if I'm giving you something, I'm, I'm honestly believing that it'll work. So don't be surprised if it does work. We are, we are actually hoping it will work. Um, but this morning, what we want to do is we want to lean into something that I think all of us need to learn and to develop a better skill in. Uh, we're going to talk this morning about learning how to uh, apologize and how to own our piece of the problem, how to say I'm sorry and how to be quick at it. And why is that so important? And what does Jesus actually have to say about it? Because Jesus actually has quite a bit to say about it. And so we're going to look at something this morning, actually, in two different Gospels. If, if you have a Bible or use an app, if not, don't worry. The verses will be on the screen in just a few moments. We're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Both of these guys record the same kind of instance, but they have a little bit different perspective. So we're going to kind of contrast those. But what I, what I know is that you and I have a very similar experience in life. And I think all of us probably share in this in one way or another. Try to think back to a time in your life when you were at kind of odds with someone else. There was a little rift within a relationship with someone and things seemed to be stuck where they were. Nothing was really getting better. Maybe, maybe the person or you were the person that decided to go just silent treatment Nothing was going to improve until something happened. And then the the other person decided, well, I'm going to be silent. I'm not even going to talk to you. I'm going to avoid you until something happens. And what both of you were looking for at the same time was an apology. You were both looking for the other person to own their piece of what happened. And the problem is that neither one of you wanted to apologize. And I'm sure you've either been in this situation or you've witnessed it in someone else. Maybe you were the third party in a friendship and you have some friends and they were at odds with one another and they stopped talking to each other and it put you in an uncomfortable spot because you could no longer hang out with both of them and you enjoyed hanging out together as a group, but you can't do that anymore. And all you wanted to do more than anything was get them into a room together to sit them down calmly and then to scream in their faces. Would one of you please apologize to the other person? I want to go get Froyo and I can't do that without the two of you. And so will you guys please apologize? Will you make it right? Will one of you just own your piece of the problem? Because you're both idiots. You're both wrong. You both have been jerks. You need to fix this. And that's what you wanted to say, but maybe you held back. Some of you, you probably just said it anyway. And you probably said it in that way, and now you're no longer friends with them. And so that's a different message for a different time. But I think we all do this from time to time. And we all have this issue in our life where we we see that there's something wrong. Maybe there's something going on in a relationship. There's something that we have said. There's something that we have done. Maybe somebody else did something and it caused a reaction out of us. 
And because of that, we're holding this thing in. And what we really think and what you think and what I think, because we're right, is that the problem isn't really us. It's always their fault. I mean, think about it. Every argument you've ever been in, the, the common denominator is that it's always their fault. It's amazing how it's always the other person's problem. It was never you in the first place because the part that you had to play, like, let's just be honest, the part you had to play was so small. It was so minuscule. It's not even worth mentioning how small of a part you played. But the whole thing is their, their fault. And really, let's just, let's just be really honest, you are the victim. You've always been the victim. And I'm the victim. Because what happens is we are never wrong. We've never been wrong. We've never done anything wrong. Now, obviously, you know I'm kidding about me. You, I'm not. You. But we've all done this. We all assume that we're always right, and the problem is always the other person, and that we are always the victim in every situation. And I'm sure at some point you've heard the, the statement that there's always two truths to every story, and somewhere in the middle is understanding. And it's this idea that, that when our emotions get involved, when things get triggered within us, we develop our own version of what truth was, what happened. And so we have our picture of truth, and then the other person has their picture of truth. And the problem is that neither one of our pictures of truth are really true. But somewhere in the middle is this idea of understanding that we can come together even though we might feel something different, even though we might believe something different, even though we might have a different outtake or saw something, we can come in the middle and we can find understanding. It's recognizing that, that there's a common ground that we can build upon. But we have to be willing to do some things first. And one of the things we have to be willing to do is recognize our defense mechanisms. Because you and I have defense mechanisms, and it's, and it's fine because it's, it's natural. It's part of who we are, but we have to be aware of them. We have to become more aware of the things that we do. And so a question that I would love to ask you and have you just think about this morning and think about even this week is why do we realize that every single issue has two sides unless we are one of those two sides? That you can see it in everybody else. And you can pinpoint exactly who was wrong and how both of them were wrong or how this person did something and it affected this person and that's why there's the issue. But the moment we are involved in the problem, there's no longer two sides. There's one side and it's them and it's all their fault. And we become defensive. So real quick, let me give you a couple defense mechanisms that we tend to use. And this may be new for you to, to start realizing this about yourself. And so one of the things that we tend to do is we shoot the messenger. That's number one. We shoot the messenger. I don't have a problem. You're just out to get me. And we immediately start telling everyone that everyone is just out to get us. You know, my boss, he's just out to get me. You know, my spouse, they're just out to get me. My kids, they're out to get me. My siblings are out to get me. Everybody's at my neighbor. They're just out to get, everybody's out to get me. Somehow the whole world has now turned against you. And so what we do is we shoot the messenger. We, we, we don't think we have a problem. We attack the person that's approaching us. Number two, we rationalize it. Rationalization is our second defense mechanism. We, we have good excuses as to why I'm okay to be this way, but you're not. You, you can't act that way, but I can. And let me tell you why I can. And so we, we excuse away our behavior. Number three is minimization. We, we minimalize things and, and we, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you just, real, you just need to get over it. 
It's not that big of a deal. What I did, what I said, it wasn't that bad. You just need to figure out a way to get over it. It was so small. And we minimalize it. Number four, we blame. You know, that's definitely a problem. It's just not my problem. It's their problem. It's your problem. It's his problem. It's her problem. Somebody else's problem, and we pass the blame off to somebody else. Five, we, we would deny it. We just simply are in complete denial. There's, there's no problem. I mean, you see that there's a problem, but that's just your perception. That's your version of truth. There's no problem with me. We deny. And number six is we project it. I weirdly see that there's a problem in everyone except for me. There may be, maybe we don't want to fully accept there's a problem, but we project it on everybody else, and we, we don't want to own anything, so we kind of get this weird, like, weird thing about us where we kind of move in and out of, of understanding with other people. Nobody even knows what we're talking about at some point, and we just kind of project all these weird feelings on everybody around us, and everybody's like, is he okay? Are they okay? See, what, what, what happens is that we all, we all tend to do this. We all tend to respond with some type of defense mechanism. And so I just want you to know, like, this is normal. This is normal. This is your human nature. But what this does is this will damage relationships. So if your goal is to have horrible relationships with people, if your ultimate goal in life is to have horrible relationships with other people, you want to be alone forever, you don't want anybody to ever get close to you, then just keep doing this. Just, just keep having defense mechanisms that trigger everything, that pushes people away. But if your goal is to have great relationships, then we have to figure out how do we become better at this? How do we get better at not just being defensive every time somebody wants to talk to us about something in us? And so Jesus actually leans into this. It's amazing how Jesus speaks into things 2,000 years ago and they apply to you and I today. And thankfully, there were people there, eyewitnesses who recorded what Jesus said. So in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospels are these four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's the same kind of situation that kind of unfolds, and Matthew records it, and so does Luke. But they both kind of record it with a little bit of a different angle, because they're both writing to different audiences, and they both have different perspectives. So they're going to tell us similar things, but not the exact same thing. So in Matthew chapter 7, we're coming right in the heels of Jesus' best sermon or his most popular sermon. It's been entitled the Sermon on the Mount. And near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus is going to say to the audience, the crowd that has been gathered there in Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. If you can follow along, please do. If not, just look at the screen. It'll be a lot easier to look at the screen, I'm, I'm sure. He says this, judge not that you be not judged. Now, right out of the gate, you might have an issue. You might have an issue with just the grammar usage. Like, that's not even a correct sentence. Why did they say that you be not judged? Like, shouldn't it be flipped? Probably, okay? It's a translation of another language. So, yes, it probably should have been flipped around. But usually what we do is we like to stop at verse 1. We like to stop at verse 1. And anytime somebody comes to us and tries to tell us that there's a problem within us, we like to say, don't judge me. Jesus actually said, you can't judge me. Don't you judge me. And we do this thing with our head and, and all that stuff. And you know what I'm talking about because you do it. I've seen you. But check this out. Jesus is actually not saying that you can't judge. And he's not saying that other people can't judge you. 
But we stop at verse 1 and we assume that we know what he's talking about, but we simply just need to keep reading context. So let's keep going. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So why do you see the speck that's in your neighbor's eye, your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now, not literal. Okay, Jesus is not speaking with literal terms here. He's now going to exaggerate in a metaphor. He's going to speak about this idea that we can see the speck, the little tiny speck of sawdust in our neighbor's eye, and we'll point out everybody else's faults. We'll nitpick everybody else's problems. Yet at the same time, visually speaking, you got to think of it in, in, in picture, word pictures. There's a giant log, a wooden beam sticking out of your own eye. But you were so quick to pick out everybody's speck, to point out everybody else's problem. Yet we have a giant glaring problem, a log in your own eye. And we say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. Now, I didn't say that, okay? Matthew is saying that, and he's recording what Jesus said. So if you get upset, don't get upset with me. It's not my words. These are Jesus's words. So be mad at Jesus and be mad at Matthew. But they say this, you're a hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Luke actually records it in a little bit of a different term. Check this out. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and uh, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. And then he tells a parable that Jesus told. Luke was a historian. He was this brilliant, uh, brilliant mind. He was a physician. And so when he would record history, he would capture the parables and the stories and the miracles of Jesus. So he, he captures a parable that Matthew did not capture. He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? And how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. Notice how they both capture Jesus saying, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. For no good tree. And then he immediately jumps into this, this conversation about a tree. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from bramble bushes. But the good person out of the good treasure of their heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And if you're an underliner, highlighter in your Bible, underline, highlight, star, circle this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I believe the reason that these passages are talking about these passages about judging others are oftentimes misused because we take them out of context. We, we take it out of context because it fits us to tell people that they're not allowed to judge us. But that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not what Matthew is recording. It's not what Luke is recording. Jesus actually never says that you are not allowed to judge others. He simply says that you need to be cautious in how you judge others. That if you are going to judge someone 
that you should be very, very careful because the criteria that you use to judge someone else is the same criteria that will be used to judge you. In other words, don't hold someone to a standard that you are not willing to hold yourself to. Don't don't expect someone to behave in a certain way that you are not willing to behave yourself in. In other words, is this the sword that you are willing to die on? Is this the hill that you're going to die on? Or do you simply need to not judge and fix the thing that's in you first? There's a, a modern English translation of the Bible known, called the, the Message Translation. And it actually captures the intent of these verses really, really well. So if you can, follow with me here, and then we're going to apply this, and then I'm going to challenge you, and then we're going to close. It says this in the Matthew chapter 7 passage in the Message Translation. It says, don't pick on people. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you even have the nerve to say, let me wash your, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part of just live, instead of just living your part. So wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Take care of your own problem first before judging someone else and trying to deal with their issue. That we have to take care of our own stuff and recognize that we are oftentimes part of the problem. We've contributed to the tension. We've contributed to the argument. We've been a part of what's happening. See, this passage is at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, which probably wasn't a one-time sermon for Jesus. Jesus would have taken this message because it was his primary message, and he would have preached it multiple times. On every hillside, in every town, he would go from place to place, and he would keep preaching this same idea, this same message. And there's some, there's some ideas that are revolving around inside of inside of the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he talks a lot about the kingdom of God. And the reason he talks so much about the kingdom of God is because what they were seeing and what they were experiencing was not God's kingdom. It was a kingdom built by men. And it was built out of their own selfishness. And so Jesus is trying to help them see that God is different than what you think God is, that this, this God is not the same God that, that you have made him into. And at the same time, there's another theme. There's another reoccurring idea. And it's, a, it's an idea that we talk about in this church every single week. And it's loving God, loving others, and loving life. Jesus keeps coming back to these three ideas that we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, that we're supposed to love others more than we love ourselves, and we're supposed to love the life that we've been given no matter how good or how bad it is. And it's not a stretch to imagine that as Jesus is preaching the sermon, all the people are sitting by, they're listening, the disciples are sitting close, they're taking notes on every word because he's probably saying things a little bit different every time he gives it, so they're writing things down, they're taking notes. 
And the reason why everybody would hang on Jesus' words is because nobody's ever talked like this before. Nobody's ever said the things in the Sermon on the Mount the way Jesus said them. And it's actually recorded at the end of the chapter. It says the people were astonished because no one, not even the scribes or the rabbis, not even the religious people, spoke with such authority. And so Jesus, speaking with all authority in a way that nobody's ever heard, speaking about ideas and the way we treat people and the way we take care of our neighbor and the way we treat our enemy and the way we love people. Jesus is speaking all these things that are so countercultural. And then he's going to sum it all up for us. Sum it up with this. Sum it all up for us in one sentence. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, he's going to sum it up with this. So in everything. So in everything. Not some things. In everything. Do to others what you would have them do to you. So in everything that you do, do for others the way in which you would want them to do it for you. Let's apply that real quick. Let's get, let's get practical for just a moment. This would have been very difficult for the current listener to hear back in this time period, and it's still difficult for you and I. Well, Dave, are you saying that when I drive, I should do for others what I want them to do for me? I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. You mean the person that won't let me in when I want to switch lanes and I turn back and I yell at them from inside of my car with my windows up knowing that they can't hear me? Is that really like, like they're such a jerk. They're such jerks. Why would they let me in? Well, first of all, you don't have your blinker on. And so if you don't put your blinker on, I'm not letting you in. So let's just, let's just be honest about that. But do for others what you want them to do for you. What do you do when people are trying to switch lanes? You don't let them in. (laughs) I've seen some of you drive. You don't let anybody in. (laughs) But this is what we do. We get so mad when other people won't do something, but we ourselves don't do the very thing that we're so mad that they won't do for us. We do it in the way in which we use your turn signal. Want to learn how to drive? Start driving more appropriately. Use your turn signal. Stop at stop signs. You know, it's not a suggestion. It's an actual stop sign. Like you're supposed to actually stop. Start driving appropriately. Oh, you know what, Dave? I, I feel so lonely and alone, and nobody ever reaches out to me. Nobody, nobody just calls me. Nobody ever just invites me out for a cup of coffee. Then why don't you start reaching out to people? Why don't you find some other people that maybe feel lonely too and invite them out for a cup of coffee? Do for others what you want others to do for you. You know, I just want people to to make me feel loved or affirmed or encouraged or respected. That's what I need. Okay? So why don't you begin to give love and affirmation and encouragement and respect to everyone else? Do for others what you wish others would do for you. Jesus sums up his entire sermon in one statement. We get hung up on so many other things, but if we could just figure this piece out. You see, there's correlations across our entire lives of how we treat our children. I wish my children would would listen more. Then how about you listen to your kids more? Oh, I wish my boss would would not come in and just yell at me. Then stop talking about your boss behind his back because he finds out anyway. Oh, I wish that... See, it happens all over our lives. In every situation, 
And what we want is we think, I need to see something different in this person. I need to see something different coming from you. I need you to change. But Jesus is going to help us understand this correlation. He's going to help us understand the point of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, the point of the whole thing, is Jesus looking at his audience then and looking at us through the authors, saying, look, I need you to see things from a different perspective. I need you to see this this from a different perspective. You've been stuck in an old covenant way of thinking. You've been stuck in this old way of thinking. It's an eye for an eye. That, well, if this person wrongs me, then I get to wrong them back. If that person yells at me, then I get to yell at them back. If that person cuts me off, I'm going to figure out a way to get in front of them so I can cut them off back. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm done with the old way of doing it. I'm introducing something new, and I'm inviting you into something better. Imagine the tension for just a moment, Jesus, having to live in an old covenant, Old Testament, old Jewish way of doing things world, knowing full well that at the end of his ministry, he was going to introduce a brand new covenant, a brand new way of approaching life, a brand new way of doing everything. So during his time of teaching and preaching, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' way of pulling everybody along, instituting it, these ideas that we don't do it that way anymore. We don't treat people like that anymore. We don't respond wrong for wrong. That when somebody hurts you, when somebody says something to you, when somebody's trying to damage you, you turn the other cheek. You love your enemy and you love your neighbor. He he gives us so many countercultural ideas and it's because he's inviting you and I into something new. Not just repeating the way it's always been done. And our typical response is the same as the first century response. The audience in the first century is hearing this being said and they're thinking to themselves, this is so so obscure. This is so radical. You know what? I, I don't want this. I want mercy for me and justice for you. That when you do something wrong, I want you to be punished. But when I do something wrong, I want mercy. I want grace. I want forgiveness. But for you, I need you to pay for it. I need you to suffer a little bit for it. And this is oftentimes our same response. So let me ask you this. What if there's something that you just don't see? What if there's something in your life, in your heart, that you simply don't see that's affecting the way that you see everything else? What if there's something inside of you that is keeping you from seeing the truth? that you have a part to play. See, I think what we tend to do is we begin to believe that we can just fix, we can figure out a way to fix everybody else, confront everybody else, nitpick everybody else. It would somehow make all of our problems go away. We think that, man, you're holding my happiness hostage. And if we could just address all of your wrongs, then everything in my life would be fixed. We want to start with everyone else, but what Jesus is doing is he's inviting you and I to see it the other way around. He's saying, hey, instead of looking at your neighbor's, the speck in your brother's eye, why don't you focus on the log sticking out of your own? Why don't you look at you first? And you may know this. This may be the first time you've ever heard this, so let let me let you in on something. 
as long as you blame other people for your unhappiness, you will always remain unhappy. As long as your happiness is somehow attached to everyone else, you will remain unhappy. You'll stay in that place. And that's why the author in Luke, Luke is, is telling us that it, it, it's something that comes out of our heart, for, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, that there's something in here that will change everything out here, that your happiness is not attached to other people's behaviors and other people's problems. Your happiness is attached to your heart, your own personal relationship with Christ. And the reality is that it's oftentimes our pride or our ego that gets in the way. So let me, let me give you something else that's really difficult to take in. And this, again, is not me. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to you. He's writing a letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12. And he says, don't think that you're better than you are. Wow, Dave, that's mean. I, again, be honest in your evaluation with yourself. Look at your part of the problem and don't assume that it's always everybody else. Figure out where is your piece of the problem and be as quick as you can to apologize, to say I'm sorry. See, apologizing is simply to express some type of regret for something done or said. It's to empathize with other people. It's to try to see it from their perspective. But, but let, me just, let me just help you with this. Apologies are not just the words that come out of your mouth. It's not just the I'm sorry text with like a, a smiley face or a frowny face emoji with a little tear and maybe some praying hands afterwards, okay? That's not an apology. An apology is a heartfelt face-to-face eye to eye, I am so sorry for what happened. And it's admitting that you're wrong and it's seeking to make it right. If you want to learn how to improve all of your relationships, get better at apologizing for your part. Get better at saying I'm sorry and not just saying I'm sorry, seeking to make it right. How do you do that? You ask somebody and you may want to write this down. How can I make this right? You know what? I am so sorry for what I said. I shouldn't have said that. Is there anything that I can do to make this right? And when you ask that question, you have to be willing to do anything to make it right. Hey, I am so sorry for what I did at work. I'm so sorry for how I handled that account. I'm so sorry for what I did in this situation. When you go to your children and you say, hey, I am so sorry for the way I overreacted. One of the greatest lessons you will ever teach your children if you have kids is to apologize quickly. You will teach your children empathy. You will teach your children something that they will not learn outside of you. I am so sorry for what I did. I'm so sorry for how I handled that. I'm so sorry for overreacting. Is there anything that I can do to make it right? It's learning how to own your peace. It's learning how to see the log in your own eye first. So what do we do? Push the rest of your Sunday, the rest into play this week. How do you come out of this service and approach the rest of your Sunday, the rest of the week ahead of you, and actually practice this? You keep short accounts. You keep really short accounts. Every night before you go to bed, you clean the slate. Don't carry it over to the next day, especially if the person that you're still mad at is next to you. You make it right first. 
You have to seek to make it right. Not just say, I'm sorry. So I think something we have to become better at is understanding that our our feelings get involved. And when our feelings become involved, our feelings can put something in the way of us seeing the way things really happen. So what we have to learn to do is respond in this manner. When you do blank, I feel blank. When you do this, it makes me feel like this. It's not telling the other person, you made me this. You made me blank. You made me angry. You're the one. Because the moment you do that, it's, it's on the offensive. And that person will become defensive. And their natural reaction is going to be become offensive. And then you're going to get defensive. And then you're going to respond with something else offensive. And it's going to put you right back into the cycle that you don't want to be in. It will damage every relationship that you have. So how do you have healthier relationships? Hey, you know what? When you do this, it makes me feel like this. Let's, let's make that practical. This may be a conversation in your home. Hey, when you don't put your dirty stuff in the laundry, it makes me feel like you're made. This is what I have to say to Carrie all the time. <laughs> When you do this, it makes me feel like this. Well, I don't want you to feel like my maid. Therefore, I should own my piece of the problem. I need to put my stuff where it needs to be. And you can add this to any part of your life. When you do blank, I feel like this. And when you start to get the emotion out, when you start to allow the feelings to come out, it changes the conversation. And so what do we do? We focus on our feelings, not your version of the facts. Because your version of the facts is going to be your truth, not theirs. Because feelings form filters that skew facts. So we have to focus in. We've got to dial it in. And we have to be honest. Again, the intent of all of this, the purpose of all of this, is to improve our relationships. is to become healthier in the way we interact with others. Ultimately, the goal is to build bridges. It's to build bridges within our own relationships, and it's to build bridges with people that are far from God into understanding how much God really loves them. And if as Christians we move around the world and go around our daily lives constantly judging everyone else, we're not building bridges. And we should be the best at this. Of all the people in the world, we should be the ones that have this figured out. That I don't treat you, or I do start to treat you the way I want you to treat me. But I need to do my part first. So let's be quick to say I'm sorry. Let's be quick to own it. And let's be quick to make it right. So let's pray. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated on all that's happening at South Hills Burbank.